Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. The Toddcast Podcast. Find us on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and at toddhancock.ca. There we go. <clears throat> and there he is. Hey, Todd. Excellent. Stu Jeffries, how are you, buddy? I'm well, my friend. How are you? Good, good. Turning that uh, video on to see your beautiful face or what? Yeah, hold, hold on one second here while I uh, negotiate this nonsense. Okay. Nice. And I'm in the. I'm in a... Um, hang on just one sec here so I can find anything here ah, hell with it um i'm in a uh this is a little mini studio i built underneath the staircase in our house uh, leading down to the laundry room it's like this thin it's just enough for me and <laughs> just about this much room nice. uh and it is the dullest it looks like a war bunker but um uh, it's super quiet so you won't hear the dog bark or the kids scream so we're good <laughs> oh good yeah 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 it's the harry potter right that's right exactly, exactly. yeah oh, i did the same when i got uh, let go from seafox i converted this was used to be like the you know the spare room where mom yep. or whoever would crash over if they you know were staying over or whatever and now they're just right. crashing on the couch if they're coming over that's uh, right that's right and it's all you know every house has a room and if you can't do one or build one uh, like a closet works just fine with clothes all behind you acoustics are fine like yeah it's yeah good. you just need something to deaden the sound yeah <laughs> that's right dude what a what a trip man it is like i was just thinking uh right before jumping on with you here like if you had been able to tell my you know 12 11 12 year old self you know that i'm going to be talking to that host <laughs> on every single friday like dude seriously man like i i i'd mentioned that you know you're one of the reasons why i got into broadcasting i'm, I'm not just yeah. saying it for for blowing smoke man i was religious yeah. of watching that show so uh Stu, thank you for helping me get down that path i've been it since 95 i'm so glad there's like uh first of all there's no business like it as far as i'm concerned um but also when i hear and i do every so often hear from people when you told me that i was the reason you got into broadcasting and stuff i can't tell you how that makes me feel that's like um uh, you're talking to a guy that was so unbelievably passionate um about radio more than anything um and uh and i've, I've loved it since i was you know seven eight nine years old i knew that that's what i wanted to do mm. So whenever you come across people that are as passionate as I was, I'm like always open the door and yeah, yeah, let's talk about it, man. I love yeah, this absolutely. industry. It's so awesome. TV was great. Uh, it was a wonderful, um, I mean, an amazing opportunity and Good Rockin' was a show that lasted like 10 seasons and a CBC, right. anything that lasts 10 seasons on CBC right now, it's like ridiculous. Right. Um, it was one of those last variety shows that kind of hung in there. And, um, you know, I've always been lucky I've always been sort of, uh, when I started in radio in 79, AM was still very viable and still playing music and still rocking. In um, 79? Uh, you wow. know, so, yeah, 79. So I was like, so, I was I was fortunate to be uh, on AM when it, when it was still rocking and FM was coming up and then I was on FM when it was happening and then TV doing a video show. Like, could you imagine doing a video show now? It's like, no, because I mean, you can just go to YouTube and find out whatever you want. Right. But I mean, back then it was the only source of information and videos and stuff. So I was lucky to be on that sort it, of cusp. Yeah. And, and a mutual friend of ours, a guy named Ken Legg had said that yeah. like you would, 
you would go fly to Vancouver, record Good Rockin' Tonight, fly back to get to your morning show or whatever it was. And I think it was, yeah, it was I was doing mid I was doing middays in Regina at the time. So I was I got the job when I was in Regina. So yeah, so I work Monday to Friday and then fly out to Vancouver, do the show Saturday, fly back Sunday. Uh, and then um, I moved to Vancouver because I, the flying after a while, just I thought it would be really cool. And it was like after two weekends, I'm like, oh, mm. this is not cool at all. I I'm could done. see how that got pretty, um, pretty quick. Yeah. Although at first, right, the first couple of weeks you think, and I'm in Regina, right? So I'm like, I'm a jet setter. I'm going to Vancouver. This is awesome, right? Um, uh, but then, yeah, I ended up moving out to Vancouver to just do good rock and solely. But I miss radio so much that uh, and it was hard to sort of get into the Vancouver market at that time. Um, so, uh, I was fortunate to get a job doing mornings in Edmonton and I started that flying back and forth thing again. And then I picked up the switchback job at CBC in Vancouver. So it was Monday to Friday mornings at K97 in Edmonton, leave the show Friday at nine o'clock to go to the Edmonton airport, which is like, it's, if you've ever been to Edmonton, the airport is so far outside the city. It's the like drive. another drive. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then flying out, uh, to Vancouver, good rock and Saturday, switch back on Sunday and then flying back again to do mornings, Monday to Friday. So that again, didn't last too long, but, uh, I think about it now when you're young and stupid, uh, and just, and you know, the world has kind of opened up for you. You are, um, uh, you're all in, right? You'll do whatever it takes, and well, for sure, uh, you know, I'm happy to be and, part and, of it. Yeah, like, yeah, and consider, like, Stu, the you know the time. Of course, it was just a different time as well, right? Like, no internet, yeah. of course. Yeah. You had like Rolling Stone and Spin and Circus yeah, if yeah. You're looking for like music news, or you had yeah, you. yeah, you know. And I hear that, and um, even while I was doing the show, I mean, it's it's funny, Todd. Like you. As the years go by, um, and I mean, I am, don't get me wrong, when people say nice things about me, I love it. It's so wonderful. But I think that if you stay in something long enough, you'll be a legend whether you're good or not. And I think people throw that icon sort of, you know, name and whatever out there and say, you're like, you're an expert at this and that. Well, it's just that I've been doing it a long time. Right. But yeah, uh, doing, you know, I remember having to go to like a newsstand to get a copy of USA Today for show prep back in the day, whereas now, God, you got access to everything at your fingertips, and it's it's totally different. So, even thinking about how that was all executed back there, yeah, yeah, it's crazy, dude. It's insane. Like, and and, yeah. and 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 specifically, what would happen with your show and like you know Friday night videos, and there was other you know video shows around, but you would yeah. always play like the best, nothing but the best. It would be like Duran Duran, Hungry Like the Wolf, crazy video, yeah. You know? Yeah, um, yeah, Van Halen jump and like you know Michael yeah. Jackson's Thriller and like huge videos at the time and still they're yeah. iconic now, right? Yeah, our uh, producer of that show, Ken Gibson, was like so. Um, you know, here was a guy that was so I was probably twenty four, I guess twenty four, twenty five when I started doing that show. Mm. He was fifty, maybe fifty five. Uh, looked like your dad. Uh, and you would never sort of put that face to a guy that's plugged into music, but oh my God, he was like, he was so good. And so he would introduce videos on that show. I remember I would write the scripts for them and he would say, we're going to play a video from say Icicle Works. And you're like, who the hell is Icicle Works? And he said, well, I just got a good feeling about it. This guy could pick a hit like you couldn't believe. And so, you know, we're, so it makes us look great because we're on the forefront of all these great videos. You're seeing them for the first time or around the first time. It's right. all because of him. He was so good at that. 
that's incredible so could you pick like a top and we'll move on of course to other parts of your, your career and, and all that but yeah. uh I, I'm, a, good, I'm in your i'm in your hands whatever you all want right to do, all right good. great so so for for the good rocking then let's i want you to think of like maybe like top three highlights one would be too hard so like whether that's interviewing people or just stuff you did with the show right okay so i would say the you know the highlight in terms of an interview uh or interviews i would pick two because they're they're so close to my heart uh paul mccartney and mark knopfler from dire straits so they're two people that i just they're my wow guys yeah. uh and so to be able to talk to those two um was amazing and um and of course now this is way before obviously way before smartphones and stuff so when you got a picture that picture was worth like a million words right and i got both because i and i never asked anybody i ever interviewed i never asked for a picture uh, and it was only paul and it was only mark knopfler and uh, so those are two that still are on my my wall of uh, fame uh you know that i'll always cherish and they both ended up being wonderful people um McCartney, I will never forget my producer, Ken Gibson, and I are in my hotel room uh, hours before the interview, and we're going over questions. And he said, uh, well, obviously, we're going to have to talk about the Beatles. And I remember thinking, going, like, he probably, like, he's talked about that all his entire life. Like, a, a, yeah. yeah, really? Like, are we really going to go there? And he said, well, God, like, I mean, you got to. I mean, he's a Beatle. And we we're like, yeah, okay. And so we were coming up with questions that we might ask. And whatever my first question was, I can't remember. He answered the question and then took me through the entire cycle of his, him getting into music, him meeting John, the Beatles, the whole thing in like this most gorgeous minute and a half sound bite. And I remember thinking, of course, he's done it so many times. I mean, this is how he executes it, right? And I thought I just had such, I respected him then, but I respected him even more for his answer and for him to appreciate that we all love him because of what he's done before and what he's done now. And it's, it was great. And Mark Knopfler for the lowest key guy ever had the greatest sense of humor. And, you know, he wow. was, he was put in not like one liners, but just the way he'd answer the questions were very tongue in cheek. And you could tell he's got a little smirk while he's answering. And I'm thinking, I never pegged you for that guy. I pegged you for a serious musician, guitar guy, but clearly he liked to have a little fun. Uh, and uh, we both kind of wore for this picture we got. We both kind of had the same sort of outfit on a jacket and a black T-shirt underneath. He had a blue and I had a red, and he was commenting on that. And simple things, but those are the things that are like super near to my heart for interviews. I know, right? Uh, and, doing, and how long did you yeah. have for for those guys? Like each of them was it just a quick like five ten minute kind of thing? Or? It was about about twenty minutes. I remember Paul okay. was twenty minutes backstage in Montreal, and uh, Mark. Good. Uh, was at his hotel room, so or in the hospitality suite. So he, you know, I think he gave me a half hour or whatever. It was great. Right. Um, and and the and just doing the actual show, Good Rockin' was, um, it was crazy. I mean, I've never been in a situation like that where you can go to anywhere in Canada and people know your face before you know them, or you've never been into a city and they know you before you know them. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, and really cool, uh, but like just nuts. And I think trying to sort of harness that and sort of trying to figure out a way to deal with that sort of recognition was a little bit difficult. And I had taken over for Terry David Mulligan, who is very well respected, particularly in Vancouver. And, uh, you know, I knew a lot of people loved him. And when I came up on board, I'm, I know there were a lot of people that weren't happy. Um, so it was kind of a tough sort of go to begin with, but then it became, 
you know, my show, I don't know, maybe three seasons in, I started to feel really comfortable and know that I could carry it from there. Mm-hmm. So those are my best memories from that show for sure. Yeah. And currently uh, mornings on 97.3, the boom in uh, Toronto, was it just boom? It's boom, boom 97.3. Yeah. Um, and how and long have you been there been, for now? That's so I've been doing mornings there for, I want to say, I think I'm in my 11th year. Wow. Uh, and, uh, in radio in general, I'm 40, I'm 45 years in or something like that. Like it's ridiculous. Um, but it, uh, Toronto was my goal as long as I can remember Yeah. when I was a kid, when I was a kid and I I knew that uh, when I discovered that I could actually do radio and it wasn't just for a special type of person, which I thought all my life, I thought it was just, there were special people that got to do that gig and I wasn't going to be one of them. Uh, and then when I found out you could go to a broadcasting school and you could, I mean, just kidding, Winnipeg, right? You could, you could do that and, and make a living out of it. And then it was, it was feasible. Uh, I jumped all over it, but the goal had always been, um, you know, it's so funny. I mean, I was terrible when I started, like everybody is, you start and you, you know, you're trying to find your way, yeah. but I was so ridiculously aware of the goal that I wanted to achieve. Uh, and it was always Toronto and it was always mornings and I had never, that had never left my sight. So when I finally got the chance to do it, it was like, yeah, feels good. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's still happy to be, it's just so happy to be here. No, that's great. Yeah. Well, uh, I had the same sort of aspirations, but it was to get to see Fox to do the afternoon show. And I did that right. for about well, 12 years and right. And- and since being shown the door in the summer of 2014, haven't gone back to radio. I, I started doing the podcast in like January, 2015, uh, a couple of years right. into that BCIT, the radio arts and Enter- entertainment course, they were like, Hey, do you want to come and, and kind of just be a, a presence in the, in the environment and like, you know, mark some students and yeah. think tank with them and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, hell yeah, let's do it. And been doing that for about yeah. seven years now. And, uh, you know, I'll probably eventually get back to radio, but, uh, not for the time being. It's it's just so you know. Do, do, you, do you have a podcast as well, Stu? Uh, no, I don't. And and it's more. Um, uh, I see podcasts like yours, and I realize that if I was to do one, it requires a lot of time and a lot of effort. A lot and I want to make it look as slick as possible. Yeah, yeah, a lot of work, and I haven't got the time to do it. Um, uh, I, I you know I'm happy being a guest. <laughs> it's always good. It's the easy way out. Let somebody else ask the questions, man. I'm good. I love it. How, how much did uh, did COVID screw with your work life? Um, was it very much or very little? Or uh, well, you know, it's funny. Uh, well, not funny, but I'm my wife. I think, although we never found out um, for sure because it was in the early stages of COVID and the pandemic. But my wife got real sick one morning, and she just doesn't get sick. Uh, and uh, I remember uh, sleeping. We have a washroom upstairs. It's just off the bedroom. And I heard this crash and she had fallen down and her coffee cup had shattered and the bathroom looked like a crime scene. She had cut her finger, but there was blood all over the place. And I'm like, oh my God, what is happening? Yeah. And she had lost she had lost her balance. She said, I felt dizzy and then I just fell. And so we put her into bed and she was quite sick. And so we thought that maybe that was the initial you know, COVID. Although everybody was afraid to go to the hospital. Nobody wanted to leave and go get tested. It was like you were going out into a war zone. So we just kind of kept her there in in bed for those first couple of weeks. Like you feel like, should I be washing these, you know, fruits and veggies from like, is is that what we're supposed to do here? 
I remember our dear friend had dropped off some groceries for us and she put them on the lawn and was spraying them with, you know, whatever that was and wiping down the grocery bags. I'll never forget it. Like, like it was what? like, Oh my God, what is happening? Yeah. yeah uh, right. And then, uh, so we didn't determine whether she had it, but I was, uh, of course we shut down. Uh, and um, I did the show from uh, my living room. Uh, we had, uh, we were already ready for it just in case we had sort of the, the station had sort of prepped itself for the possibility. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I had a roadcaster and, you know, a couple of monitors and um, we, uh, it was easy to set up. And I remember as I'm doing it, thinking when I was a kid, if you had told me that I was going to be doing a morning show in Toronto from my living room, looking out my, you know, onto my street, like I'd say, you're crazy. Right. Um, but yes, yeah, so we did that for about five, six weeks. And then I went back into the studio and we've been back ever since, but uh it just, um, it made me, it, it sort of made me uh, realize uh, that uh, how important the norm is to people. And when things are anything but normal and they can come to you uh, and they want just you, they want your show, they want you to do what you do because Christ, we need normal right now. Um, right. That really made me realize the sort of power of this medium and why it's still so strong, right? And people couldn't maybe articulate it, but it's we become friends with people we don't see, or we become part of the normal life of people we don't see. And please don't take that away from us. Please let things be normal, even when the entire world is not. Mm -hmm. And that really kind of opened my eyes to uh, the power. I, I've always known the power of it, but you know that was another example of just how beautiful uh, this job can be and why I'm so passionate about it because of what it does to people and how it makes people feel. Yeah. Well said, dude, you, you have a lot of fans that want to ask questions of you as well. I, when yeah. I posted the, of course, a lot of people are like, Oh my God, this is going to be great. So uh, <laughs> I hope I don't disappoint. There's too much pressure. <laughs> I know. Right. Uh, Steve wants to know, he goes, ask him about his fondest memories of switchback. We talked about that real quick, uh, hit it over there a few minutes back. He goes, I, lo I love the show. I'd love to, love to hear his thoughts. Uh, thanks Steve. Yeah. I, um, that show sort of fell in my lap, uh, when the host before me, I can't remember exactly what happened. I think, I don't think I, I can't remember, but I'll, all I remember is the producer of the show, Herb Baring, had asked would I be interested in doing it? And it was a live kids TV show. And I had mentioned earlier on in our discussion how um, young and stupid you are and you're just like open to anything. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, if somebody approached me with that now, given my schedule, I go, I, there's no way I can do this. Sure. Uh, but when you're young and dumb, it's like, yeah, bring it on. And oh, my God, it could be the most fun I've had uh, doing TV. Um and again, the sort of power of the communication and how you connect with your audience, the kids. I never knew that I was a kid person until I, until I started doing a kid's show. And I thought, oh, my God, I love kids. Like, this is so the, the There is the combination of innocence, wildness, playfulness, uh, mischievousness, whatever, all met at that show. And with a live studio audience, oh my God, it was so yeah. much fun. Yeah. yeah. And I, yeah. you know, I burnt in the end, in the end, I, I really burned out. Like, um, you know, if I could go back again, I would love to redo the last couple of seasons and not be so exhausted. Um, uh, but I credit not only Herb, the producer, but Patsy McDonald, who was a director on that show and everybody on that staff was so amazing at putting that show together nothing but fond memories if i had the chance like i said if i had the chance to go back i'd fix the last couple of years but man i i yeah most fun i've ever had 
Nice, nice. Uh, Claire says, has he ever had an interview go bad? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, yeah. That's going to happen yeah. over four decades. Come on. <laughs> For sure. For sure. Yeah, and it's so funny. We did a, uh, a, uh, a um, trip to the UK uh, in 80. 80- six i want to say 85 86 whatever and we went there for a week and i mentioned the producer of the show ken gibson always at the top of things and he was he's uh, originally from london i believe um so it was like going home for him but he was in his element it was like when we got there we had a schedule of some of the bands that we would be interviewing but as we drove to one interview he was already setting up an interview with somebody else it was a ridiculous schedule to the point where we're, I remember going into some hotel, I guess, or something like that, or maybe a record place, I don't know. And I'm in the elevator and he's handing me a, vi- a bio of Westworld. And he said, here, you're talking to them in five minutes. And I'm like, I had never heard of them up until that point. So I'm combing over the bio, trying to come up with stuff to talk about. Um, and I, remember, I just remember the name Westworld. And <laughs> I'll never forget that a song called Sonic Boom Boy and I don't know if it did anything, but every time I think of the UK, I think of this band and this sort of one hit is crazy. Um, uh, but during this time, we t- uh, sat down with Mark Hollis from Talk Talk, and he was just, I mean, he's dead now, and I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but he was just so mean. And, um, y- you know, I got a real good example of don't think that you're good at what you do because you're not when you're not prepared for something like this. And I was not prepared for the way he handled the interview. Mm. Um, Jesus and Mary chain were another one that were just like, and I remember thinking they were being so such jerks. And I remember like halfway through the interview thinking, you know, at this point I could say, we're not going to play your video. And a year from now, no one's going to know who Jesus and Mary chain is. Like I wanted to say it so badly, but I was like, no, no, let's keep talking, keep having your way, whatever. Um, so, yeah, you know, those went south, but so few. Right. I remember them because it was a disaster. Uh, but and, not, and when I say so few, I don't say it because I was such a great interviewer. It's just that people were so accommodating. Everything was always so good. People were excited to present their stuff, excited to talk about their video, excited to talk about their new band. Right. And we had a national show, so they knew it was a great window to do that. So for the most part, everybody was really nice. I was I was really lucky. Yeah, that was the same for me. I think maybe two, three at the most when I was at Fox. Like, yeah, yeah, it wasn't very many. You, when it was, like, you could really railroad them to be like one of them was Serge Tankian from System of a Down, right? And right, he was right. just giving me these one word answers, and it was like just he was being really short, and he was just you know, and yeah. and I, like mid point of the interview, I was like, dude, like if you don't want to be here, like. We can we can wrap it up like that's totally fine if you or you could talk yeah. about the album and the fact that you're coming to Vancouver and that you're working with this person like it's up to you right yeah yeah and put, bingo put it back and on them it, and they're man. usually pretty uh, receptive yeah. right and that was the thing to me it's sort of like if you don't want to do it you don't have to come in I'm cool right. man I don't need to I'm I don't want to talk to you if you don't want to talk to me right stay away that'd be awesome but don't yeah. come in if you are going to come in then commit to it for God's sake and be a good person yeah. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. All right, Sean goes. Um, uh, saw Top Gun three. What was his last movie at the at the theater? Oh my! Oh my last movie! Oh wow! Uh, oh, it's so it's so boring. Uh, Downton Abbey. Okay. Uh, I have become such a fan of Downton Abbey, and I have to say that the movie I saw the second movie, the movie previous to that was really good. 
I really liked it. This movie was sort of like, come on now, now you're milking it. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't a, the enjoyable experience I wanted, uh, but that would be the last thing I saw. I have not seen Top Gun. Uh, I haven't will. seen it either. I uh, heard it's I, amazing. No, I hear it's just absolutely. I hear there are tears. Like there's moments yeah. where it's like, oh my god, yeah. So I do want to see it. Uh, I also, you know what, Bullet Train got a lot of abuse, oh, but yeah. I want to see Bullet Train because it does look pretty good. I yeah. I like to see Brad Pitt in that kind of environment. So, but yeah, sorry, the last movie was Downton Abbey, and I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> are, are you a fan of all the like the superhero movies? Oh yeah, yeah, Wonder Woman and all that. So, uh, yeah, saw so Avengers Endgame with my kids and um, uh, all three of them, and my wife. Uh, all three of us, or all four of us, at the theater, and man, at that moment where they all assemble at the uh, end, I got chills. I mean, I read those comics when I was a kid, and totally, it seems right? to me that the Marvel, yeah, the Marvel universe just keeps getting better and better. And I know it's CGI, and I don't give a crap. It's just so good. You see Captain America turn around and all his peeps are there and he says, Avengers assemble. Give me that all the time. I was like, yeah, let's yeah. go. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Like back in, you know, back, back to your good rock and tonight days, it was, it was, it was music for me and it was comic books, you know? And, yes. And, yes. To, and to know that they're at the point where they are now releasing as many blockbuster, huge movies, it just yeah. blows my mind that we're at this point. I never, because like you know, as a kid, you used to get you'd be called like a what a nerd, and you know, it was kind of nerdy. Yeah, yeah, comic books, right? For sure. And also, you didn't get the great special effects that we have now. I mean, the Spider-Man movies and the Captain America movies when we were kids were just garbage. Right, but In you know, now it's sort of like that's the yeah, that's yeah. the Captain America I remember. And I remember and I, one thing I particularly enjoy now about watching movies is at Good Rockin' towards the later years, we went on movie junkets all the time. So, And we weren't critics. We were just presenters. So I would get a chance to talk to the stars of the movie and get them to talk about their role, uh, what the movie meant to them and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember that the, the schedule was so hectic. And in a lot of ways, it kind of ruined the sort of movie experience, knowing how sometimes you'd find out how the stars really felt about their roles or you know, or maybe you met them and they weren't really very forthcoming or they weren't very nice and it kind of ruined the experience. So glad to have that behind me now where you can go to a movie and just dig it and you don't have to worry about, you know, oh yeah, I interviewed him or I interviewed her and they're not very nice or whatever. It's right. not I could just enjoy it. No, can it, yeah. it can definitely change the way that you perceive not only not only acting in, in, in that world, but also if you meet like, you know, I've met some musicians where I'm like, and that sucks. Yeah. Like I liked your band until like this exact moment. Yeah. Now you're like, I got no time for you now. No. And it's like, you know, it's, there's so much to that um, uh, saying about don't meet your heroes. You don't want to meet your heroes. Right. And for the most part um, in terms of music, my heroes, I was, I was lucky. Like, you know, there weren't, I, I really can't remember if there was a really super bad experience, but I know exactly what you're saying. And you, you kind of dig these guys. Like lately, Eric Clapton and Van Morrison, I don't know what the hell happened to those guys during the pandemic, but they just turned into jerks. Like, you know, Eric Clapton compared him not touring to slavery to the point where Robert Cray got a hold of him and said, Eric, what are you doing? Like, what are you saying? And I don't think those guys are friends anymore. You know, like they just kind of went off the rails a little bit. And I love those guys. And now when I hear Clapton or I hear Van Morrison, I'm thinking, oh, God, just a bunch of crabby old men and 
can I separate the art from the artist? And, you know, all it's, it's hard to do sometimes. Hard you know? to do. You, yeah. Yeah. You love them. Like you want to love them, but it's like, Oh man, you're such a jerk. Like right. whatever. Right. Stu, what, what was the music in your house ki- as a kid growing up? A lot of, uh, uh, radio, um, and a lot of AM radio and a lot of, uh, late sixties, early seventies. And, uh, uh, when the show uh, morning show was pitched to me at boom, where I was just going to be the only guy there. Uh, I remember my first reaction was like, okay, well now we're in a market with a whole bunch of multi show or multi-person shows and I'm going to be doing it by myself. And when I say by myself, I don't even have a pre I'm just, it's just me. So I'm doing the board. I'm doing everything. There's nobody else in that studio. Right. Um, and I remember when I started doing that thinking, and the initial pitch of the show was, we just want it to be maybe not a typical morning show, just something a little high energy, maybe lots of requests or something. I remember thinking, oh, God, that sounds gruesome. Uh, but it was the 70s radio I listened to as a kid that I was able to sort of channel because that was when the Drake format came out where it was like you took care of your business over the intros of songs. And it wasn't just if you have 14 seconds and you're doing weather, you failed. I need information over that 14 seconds, anything you can give me, but you got 14 and you better be tight. Um, and then if I stop down for a commercial break, I'm giving you a minute and a half in that minute and a half, you better have some quality shit. Cause I'm not listening anymore. And it was move forward, move forward with that energy. And so I was raised on that. Um, and so I was able to sort of bring that to that sort of seventies, you know, way of thinking into the 2000s into the you know whatever uh and it's been successful and i there's no, there's nobody happier than me yeah. um i have the support of some great people and really i do i have support of great people have let me be me uh but it, that has served me well so in my house when i was a kid i've just basically taken that to the grown-up me now and it works fine interesting tight is right that's what it's oh, about. Oh, tight is right. Tight radio and is let me right. Tell you, that's right. And you know what? Radio people know what tight is. And I know that listeners don't really know what tight is, but tight is also give me something, right? Like give me, like. Keep me around. Let me, yeah, keep me around. And you're not going to keep me around by telling me it's 14 degrees and getting up to 25. That means nothing right. to me. Like give me some shit. Give me something, uh, some and substance. They, give me some, you know, like yeah. there's a reason to listen yeah. to the radio and it's for, for, for guys like you, yes. you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And, and you fail if you don't do that. Like it's a disservice and you can hear people mailing it in a mile away. It's like, no man, put the work in. Totally. And, and also, you know what? Seventies, eighties, nineties is our format. I was raised on that. So there isn't like, there isn't a song. I don't know. So yeah. And you oh, know, it's it, so intimately. It's the pop culture yeah. that you know, and it's like, you know, yeah. you're talking to yeah. like your buddy and your, your wife and, right exactly exactly and you know when that song when the vocal kicks in and you know when it's over and you know all of that stuff to the point where right you hit it and you just feel you know what's coming um and boy i tell you that is such a wonderful place to be uh and a and a i don't know it's like it does it feels like home it's so good that's awesome dude what was your first concert that you went to and how old were you uh 1970 I guess I was 14 and I went to see BTO with my buddy Donnie. I was in Winnipeg and uh, BTO was uh, the headliner and I loved them. My first album was Not Fragile. I mean, I remember the first time I heard Not Fragile and You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet, I was like, oh my God, I love these guys. Sure. Uh, and so we got tickets to the show 
and the Ozark Mountain Daredevils were the opening act. Oh, that so would, that's that eventually becomes yeah. um, Joe Walsh. Who, uh, no, I, I, I don't. I, if Joe Walsh was, the, I don't know if he was with the Ozark Mountain Daredevils. If he was, then that's one on me, man. I, I, I all so. I remember is we got we we got the album. My friend Donnie and I got the album, and we listened to every song so that we could sing along to the song. We had no idea who they were, right? And we heard Jackie Blue and If You Want to Get to Heaven and that sort of stuff, right? And we thought, okay, yeah. cool. We know these songs, but let's know everything so that when the band comes on stage, we're going to be singing along. We did our homework. So I remember we get to the show and so the MC walks out. These ladies and gentlemen, the Ozark Mountain Daredevils are unable to be here tonight. Uh, <laughs> they had some issues at the border or whatever the hell it was. So Donnie and I were going, oh, man. And they said, instead, would you please welcome Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band? And we had never heard of Bob Seger before. He kicks in with Katmandu, and we are like, oh, my God, we're in rock and roll heaven. That's and we amazing. knew none of his songs, like none, until I think he busted out Night Moves, and then we kind of, oh, yeah, I know that one. Well, this guy. Okay, um, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then BTO opened up, and we were like, it was like, oh, God. Talk about those, you know, you remember your first concert, right? You never forget it. Your ears never. are ringing, and it's sure. sort of like that was the best experience of my life. That's amazing. <clears throat> amazing. All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to wrap it up. One, one last, uh, well, it's not really a question. I, I generally just try to get uh, guests of the podcast to share a near death story. Like where they oh, okay. could have, they should have died. Okay. Wow. Well, just a couple. Um, Everybody's always shoot. got one or two. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah. We did a shoot at, uh, for switchback at the Capilano suspension bridge. And I didn't, uh, you know, it was it was very safe, uh, but I have a big fear of heights. And I remember they wanted me right in the middle of the bridge so they could do shoot a promo. And I was hanging on to both rails for dear life. <laughs> and there was a moment which is super out of body, and I'll never forget it, where I thought I was going to jump. Like, I really did. I thought I was going to jump. Even though there's no way you could have, I thought I was going to. And it, it, it froze me so much that I... I couldn't do it. I had to, camera was rolling. I said, can you stop for a sec? Because I really think I'm going to jump. <laughs> I remember a cameraman, Hugh Henderson, came running up to me and you're okay. There's no place you can go. You're very safe. It's all good. So, and I thought, this is the end of me. And I don't know why, but I'm going to leap over the Capilano suspension bridge. Like a, and the only other time. Weird that, like that happens to people. And I've, I've read does, about that. Man. It happens to people it at like crazy does. things like that. You look over what is it about or something, like, and I don't know, and it's the worst thing. My uh, One of my uh, directors, Gordy Gill, and his wife, Patsy, lived in a high-rise apartment and may still live in the same apartment on uh, in False Creek. Uh, and they lived on the 22nd floor, 23rd floor, remember. And I remember Gordy telling me how a guy came. They had to replace the windows, the big glass windows, because they were faulty. And they took them out. So Gordy said, in my place, at the 21st floor, there was no window between me and outside. Like, it was just a, the breeze is coming of it. He said, he stood by this door and didn't move with his hands against the wall until they fixed it. Because all the while he thought, I'm going to run. I'm going to run and <laughs> leap out that window right. and that's going to be the end of it. Like, so, have you ever yeah. been driving just, you know, wherever, on a highway or whatever, you know, and it's like a cliff down to a water, to a river, and like... I've, yep. I've thought so many times, I don't know if this makes me crazy, but I've thought so many times, like, no. how fucking cool would that be to, like, take this <laughs> and just jump this bitch right now? Like, I've thought exactly. that so many times. 
and it's wrong, but you can't help it, right? Do you see the, um, did you watch the morning show by any chance on Apple TV? No. With uh, uh, Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon? Oh, no. Okay, I really, God, I won't give it away, but I, I, I highly recommend it. Go watch it because there's a scene that's kind of like that, but I don't want to give it away in case yeah. you know, people haven't seen it. It's a really cool episode. And the only other time I, I thought I was going to die was grade six, uh, walking home from school with my buddy John, uh, and uh, it was winter. And we were uh, standing on top of the snowbanks in Winnipeg, and they were huge. And we were having a snowball fight, and he hit me with a snowball perfect, like side of the face, knocked me over. I fell onto the street just as the bus was coming. And I'm, I'm not kidding. I saw the bus coming. I'm lying on the street. And for whatever reason, I pulled in my legs into the fetal position and just sort of grabbed myself and tried to pull my, ways, uh, my legs away from the wheel of the bus. I could see it, it was this close. And the bus zipped by, and I was not hurt. But had I not curled up, I would have been mangled. Like, <laughs> I'll never forget my, my buddy John saying, you nearly died. And I was like, yeah. And then we just get back snowball fight again. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> Love it. He shares a couple. Steve Jeffries, <laughs> you are a king among men. Thank you, man, for, uh, for taking the time to jump on the podcast here in Vancouver. You're, you're easy to find online. Uh, at Stu Jeffries, your name on, on both Twitter and Instagram. Boom 97.3. Is it is it 97.3 or 97.3? How do you how do you guys say that? Uh, we say we say we say boom 97.3, but 97.3 is where it's at. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. um uh and yeah, wherever I, I, I am I'm looking forward to the days when uh you can uh sort of put social media behind you and just have a conversation oh. like we're having right now. I really appreciate it, man. It's been so it's so fun and I love this stuff. I could do this forever. Uh, it, 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 and it's not just about talking about yourself. It's just about talking with somebody as passionate as I am about this business. So Todd, I appreciate the, uh, appreciate the chance, but also appreciate being able to, uh, get your vibe as well. So cool, man. Right on brother. I will keep in touch, man. I appreciate, uh, again, you, you jumping on and, and helping me get down that path, man. Cause I've had like the best career. Uh, wouldn't change anything. So much fun, isn't it? It's the so best, good. right? It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and SoundCloud. Find us at Talkcast Podcast. Attention, fans of fairy tales that are magical, hilarious, and grim. The award-winning Pinna Original Podcast, Grim, Grimmer, Grimmest, has new episodes out now. While you've probably heard of the Brothers Grimm, you've never heard these tales told in quite this way. I'm Adam Gidwitz, best-selling and Newbery Honor author of Books for Children, and in Grim, Grimmer, Grimmest, I share the real, weird, grim fairy tales with real, weird, hilarious kids. In each episode, you not only get to hear a story, but you also get to enjoy this group guessing what'll happen next, cracking jokes, and sharing their own perspectives on the tales. Also, heckling me. They love to heckle me. The episodes are rated on a scale from grim to grimmer to grimmest, so there's always a great variety of tales to explore with your family. You can listen to Grim, Grimmer, Grimmest now wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to follow the show so you don't miss new episodes.